Hey, everybody. Uh, we are we are going to get started. Good to see all of you. Good afternoon. Uh, how many of you are from like the Walnut Creek area? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are from South Bay, San Jose? How many San Francisco? How many Peninsula? How many North Bay? How many from somewhere else? Okay. All right. This is just helpful for me to see where people are, are coming from. Um, we have a couple of seats, yeah, in the middle. Make room for folks that might be coming in. If you can squeeze into to the center, that would be helpful. If you have an extra seat near you or seats in the center, squeeze in. Make room for, for some more folks. Um, my name is Justin Buzzard, uh, pastor of Garden City Church, which is down Silicon Valley, San Jose, Santa Clara. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you a little bit more about the church uh, in a minute. Married to my wife, Taylor, for 11 years. We have three sons, three boys, ages 8, 6, and 4. And so we're going to be here together for an hour. I'm going to make this talk as practical as I can make it. And then we'll have some time for Q&A at the end. So as I go through uh, a lot of this material today, I think there'll be a lot of questions. So be thinking about what your questions are, and I'm going to try hard. Hard. I'll probably race through certain sections uh, so that I can give real ample time for questions here at the end. Um, so I planted uh, Garden City Church uh, three years ago. We started this church with, with kind of nothing. We started this church with three people, 3000 bucks, and a dream to plant a church that would reach the South Bay in a fresh new way with the gospel. And God's just been faithful. He's been very good. He's, uh, he's blessed the church and grown the church. We've seen a lot of folks come to faith in Christ and get discipled and seen groups start uh, and kind of spread throughout the city. And we started the church with this mission to make disciples. And everything I'm going to teach you today is really coming out of mistakes I made in the very beginning of that church plant. Uh, we, we planted the church with this grand mission of let's, our church is about one thing, making disciples. That's our one mission. It's the one thing that we do at Garden City Church is make disciples. And as as we started the church, as we started our first couple, we call our groups neighborhood groups, as we started our first four or five neighborhood groups that were spread throughout the city to make disciples, and as I uh, got leaders in these positions, and as I was preaching six months into the church, I realized, wait, disciples really aren't getting made, and I realized that I had thought that everyone else would kind of understand how to make disciples, that I could preach about the gospel, and I could preach some truths about disciple making, but I kind of assumed that all the Christians we had with us uh, were, were knew how to make disciples, that they'd been discipled before. They knew how to make it because I knew how to make disciples. I thought everyone else kind of did. And so I realized six months in, whoa, our, our people really don't. And so what I did is I started a group called 12 Men. I assembled 12 men in our church together, and I asked them to give me six months of their life. I said, for the next six months, guys, uh, I want to give you my best, everything I know about disciple making. I want to inject this into you. I want to love you. I want to care for you. I want to teach you. I'm going to put all of this into you. Uh, if you promise to take all of this material and reproduce it in the lives of, of other men in our church. And what happened was through those six months of going through this 12 men group, I put together this process, this discipleship process that we are going to talk about and that we are going to look at today. We're talking about um, revival here in this conference. And what often can happen in, in revival is a great revival of God comes, but there's not a lot of follow-up care. There's not a lot of let's disciple people in in the way of Jesus. And what I really learned through these first couple months of our church was just that discipleship isn't automatic. And and that's one of the great truths. There's a couple main truths I want you to get from this time. Get, Get that one. Discipleship isn't automatic. Now, a lot of you already know that. But I have found that a lot of people don't recognize that discipleship isn't automatic. There's a massive need to be intentional in discipleship in in your churches and in your relationships and to think through how you want to do it. Um, Jesus spent three years uh, discipling a, a group of 12 men. 
He, he gave his very best. He gave his life. He gave his all to 12 men. He spent three years doing that and, and modeling that to them long before he ever gave them a command to make disciples. Um, and Jesus has given the church just one mission. Uh, what, what is the mission of the church? Make disciples. I mean, we, we have one mission to, to make disciples. And so that's what we need to be about in our churches. That's what we need to be about in our individual Christian lives as disciples of Jesus. Um, turn in your Bibles to Second Timothy 2, verse 2. We're just going to look at, at this passage real quick. So, so Jesus gave his church one mission to make disciples. And in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul is writing to the second generation of the church. He's writing to Timothy, a young church planter, and he's reminding this young church planter about what his job is as a Christian and as a pastor. Second Timothy 2 verse 2, he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he's reminding this young church planner, your job is to go out and make disciples who will make other disciples, to, to multiply and to reproduce. So first generation of the church, Jesus gives the mission, make disciples. Paul's reminding the second generation of the church with Timothy, the calling is still the same. It's, it's to make disciples. Um, so what, what I'm going to have these guys in the back start passing out to you is a, a one-page discipleship process. So this is going to get passed out to you. I want to ask you, I know this is so hard, don't start trying to read this whole thing. I'm going to walk you through this whole process uh, today. So when you get this, I'm going to glance at it, but don't start reading, reading all of it. I, I can tell, I can see all of your eyes, so don't, don't start doing it. Uh, we're we're going to walk through, walk through this. Um, this is what I came up with after making mistakes uh, and I continue to make mistakes as a church planner, but after making some mistakes in the beginning of the church and assuming that discipleship was automatic, after taking these 12 men through this discipleship process, and then as I've continued to disciple guys very, very regularly in the church and in my city, and as I've taught this material in a variety of other churches and contexts, I've taught this in other churches, taught this in other countries. Um, I've had a number of churches asked to use this process in, in their own church. This is what I've kind of come up with, and this is a process that we teach in our church. This is a process that we encourage uh, our leaders to use. Yeah, and if you didn't get one, raise your hand and, and more will be coming. Um, and we also have this digitally. If you, on, on our church website, our church is called Garden City. There's, there's some business cards in the back. If you want to just see where our website is, you can grab those cards on the way out. Uh, we also have this process online. I think it's pretty easy to find uh, online on our website. So if you want to see a digital version, uh, you, you can find it there. So this is my attempt to put on one piece of paper the core components and core definitions of a discipleship process. And what I want to present this to you today, I want to present this as a, as a model. I'm not saying this is the only way by any means. This is just what I came up with for our church, for our context. Uh, and and it's, I'll just tell you that it's working. The Lord is using it. It's, um, it's not the best way. It's, it's our way, but the Lord is using it. And I encourage you to look at this and to think about what from, from this could you use in your context, in your church? How could you add to this? How could you subtract uh, from this? Uh, so let, let's start going going through this. Um, what, what I've done with people as I've taken folks through this in our church is I is I've said, hey, whatever is great from this, use it, and then but then add your own stuff to it. And so we have a lot of people in our church that aren't necessarily rigidly following this, and this isn't meant to be followed rigidly. It's meant to be foundational, and people can add to it, people can riff on it, people can make it better, people can put their own kind of spin on it as as the Lord leads them. So let's start uh, right in the center of this document with these bold questions. 
And this is, this, what I'm doing with all of you today is how I train people. If I'm not discipling them and if I'm doing a seminar, we offer discipleship seminars in our church. It's just like this. It's a room full of people. I teach through this process and we do some Q&A uh, at the end. And we've found that from these seminars, people are better equipped to go out and, and make disciples. So here's the first question. Who are your guys or gals? And we have this answer to this question. We think it would be awesome if everyone at Garden City, and that's our church, always had two or so people, Christian or non-Christian, who they are discipling and developing. We are trying to give this vision to our church so that the hope is that as our church continues to grow, that, that one day I, the elders, leaders in our church, could walk, to, walk up to almost anyone who's been in our church for a season of time and say, who were your guys? Who were your gals? And a guy in our church could rattle off the name of two or three or four guys who he's intentionally investing in and discipling. Same, same thing with the ladies. Uh, whether those are Christians or non-Christians, the way I'm going to teach today is I'm going to teach this as though this is primarily for Christians who are, who are wanting more discipleship, more training in their life. But this is a process that, that I am using currently uh, with three non-Christians uh, in my life who, who I'm discipling, three guys. So, so that's the, the first question. Who are your guys, gals? You can inject that DNA into the people that you are leading. You can inject that DNA into your church. Uh, I have found that, is, that most churches don't really have a discipleship culture. Uh, most churches can tend to think of discipleship simply as this program, simply as this add-on. You take this discipleship class, but they've not injected a culture that's spread throughout all, all the folks in their church where everyone in the church is expected to be making disciples. Uh, that's what, what we have said at Garden City is we've said we expect everyone who's a follower of Jesus to, to be making more followers of Jesus. It's just a DNA we keep coming back to. Uh, definitions are important. Don't assume that everyone knows what a disciple is or, or what discipleship means. You need to put definitions on that uh, because when you say the word disciple, people in, in your context could hear lots of different things. People can say, oh, a disciple, yeah, it's someone who kind of reads the Bible or something. People have all kinds of different thoughts on what a disciple is. So we've chosen to define terms for our people. So the next thing you see in bold, Discipleship is truth and love transferred through relationship. So we're constantly giving that definition to the people in our church. Uh, discipleship, we have found people think that it's um, people think it's very complex and very difficult. Like, oh, I don't, I don't know what discipleship is or how to disciple someone. We've wanted to demystify that some and tell people this is what discipleship is. It's just truth and love transferred through relationship. It's not just truth transferred through the, through relationship. It's lots of love there. And we have found that people really can grab onto that definition. It's really useful. People are really using that definition. So what's important here, you see the next words are, these are intentional relationships, friendships of leading people towards Jesus. You probably have a lot of relationships in your life already where you are pointing people towards Christ. You're influencing them. Uh, but this is saying you're selecting a core group of people for a season of time to deeply invest in. Now, I have three sons. I'm going to be discipling my boys for, for the long haul. I'm not saying with my boys. I'm just doing that for a season, for a year or two, and I'm done and move on to the next group. I, there are certain relationships in your life where you're always discipling people. But we see that Jesus had a particular season of time in which he invested in men uh, so they could go on to invest in, in other men. So next question. What is a disciple? Again, you got, you got to define that for your people. This is how we define it. A disciple is someone who enjoys Jesus, follows Jesus, and brings others to Jesus. 
So we've sought to give what we think is a clear, simple, but robust definition of a disciple. First, a disciple is someone who enjoys Jesus. So when, when we start there, we're always reminding people this is all about grace. A disciple is someone who's had their life changed and their life is continually being changed by the grace of God, by the outrageous, unconditional love of Jesus. So that disciple, first and foremost, first and foremost enjoys Jesus. They, they're, they're moved by, by his love. Out of that grace, they're, they're following Jesus. And, and they want to bring others to Jesus. Uh, when Jesus called his first disciples, he says, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. So the original call to discipleship wasn't exclusively a call to follow Jesus. It was follow me so that you can get other people to follow me. And so we are setting this culture in our young church plant of uh, there, there's really telling people there's really no such thing as a disciple of Jesus who isn't also bringing other people to Jesus in some way, shape, or form. If, you, if we really know the living Christ, we're amazed by his love, we're transformed by it, and, and we can't help but want to get other people to come and, and to know him. There's no such thing as a discipleship that says, I'm just going to sit on the side, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I don't care about other people, I don't care about bringing other people to know him. If we, if we really know the God of the universe, uh, we want other people to know him. So whether you use that definition or not, you need a definition of what a disciple is so that you can inject that into your people so you can measure and see if discipleship is is really happening. Uh, I'd also say that the word disciple is in many ways synonymous with the word leader. Uh, we, we have sought to really explain that in our church, the disciple of Jesus. We're, we're really also talking about a leader. We're talking about someone who's following Jesus and is leading and bringing other people along the way. Next question, how do you make a disciple? Again, we're, we're trying to make this simple. Uh, ha, have you ever gotten into conversations with people where, where they just are so confused about what discipleship is and they're overwhelmed by it? Somebody, yeah, where they just think, I, where would I even start? So we, we think this is pretty simple and pretty doable. Create a relational environment where people are known, loved, trained, and sent, driven by a compelling vision of Jesus. So we, we in our church, tell uh, our city tell our people that, that people want two things more than anything else in life, and that's to be known and loved. People are so used to being known uh, f- with with all of who they are and their story and their junk and their shame and their and their guilt. People are used to being known and not loved, known and rejected, known and and turned away. And we think everyone in Silicon Valley longs to be known and loved, uh, the, the full real them, the mess of their life, being presented before God and before Christians and, and, and recognize that there is love and there is grace for that. And so we want to know people, we want to love people, and we want to train people, and we want to send people at our church. And this is our main vehicle, our main strategy for doing it. Start by prayerfully selecting your guys, gals. Uh, this is an important ingredient, selection. Uh, h- how do you go about beginning to disciple people? Well, you do it in the same way that Jesus did. Jesus, Jesus prayed about who do I invest in? Who, who do I disciple? We see that before he called his first disciples. He, he prayed about who his followers were to be. Um, I think we need to be prayerful and thoughtful and very intentional about selecting a group of guys, a group of gals to disciple for a period of time. Uh, some of you have people coming to you saying, would you disciple me? Would you mentor me? Would you, would you in, invest in me? Um, some of those people, maybe you should disciple, maybe you shouldn't. What, what you want to look at, what I encourage, would encourage you to really look for is, is one main ingredient, is the person teachable. If the person is teachable, those discipleship relationships will go really well if they're teachable, if they're humble. I only disciple guys after I have taken time to think and pray through, Lord, who should I disciple? Uh, who would be really strategic to disciple? 
Who, who do I feel like at this time in life of my life in the church and what's everything that's going on with my family? Who would be really strategic for me to disciple? Who's teachable? I want, I want, I want guys who, who are teachable. Um, and then what I ask guys to do as I approach them and, and look at starting kind of a group of guys to disciple, I make sure they really commit to it. I'll clearly lay out for them what the process is going to look like, meaning we are going to meet together uh, with this kind of frequency. I will tell them uh, for this process to work, I'm going to be ruthlessly honest with you. I will ruthlessly love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm gonna, I've got your best interest in mind. I've got your back, but I'm going to be very honest with you. That means I'm going to have hard conversations with you along the way. Uh, do you want that? Are you okay with that? Are you, I, I try to assess ahead of time uh, if, if they're going to be teachable for that. And then I get their commitment. Like, yes, I will commit to this uh, for whatever length of season, season of time. So I, I've seen discipleship really go awry where when people are not careful with selection on the front end. They just go, oh, these three people have said they kind of want to hang, hang out, have coffee with me and kind of learn from me. Yeah, great, I do it. But then by, by four weeks in and you've had to say some hard truths, like half the people have left that hasn't, that hasn't worked out. Work hard on the front end with, with selection and be really clear on the front end about what you, what you want to do with them. Um, what I have found together in terms of meeting together regularly, this, this rhythm is different for everyone, but for me, kind of a rhythm of three weeks on one week off and in terms of frequency with people has, is over the years what I've found works best getting three weeks with a group of guys, getting lots of, of, of time together. Cause I've often found that by that third week is when some real kind of breakthroughs happen and kind of a week off for, for rest and, and, and coming back. I'll talk more about what frequency looks like in a, in a little bit. You'll see a little note there. Uh, I, this note is because of things we've learned along the way. Uh, we wanted to make clear that discipleship gatherings should complement, not compete with really the backbone things that are going on in your church, gathering on Sundays as a whole church family, gathering in groups during the week. We had that happen where some folks said, well, we're doing discipleship. That's the most important thing. So that's more important than Sundays. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. It's, this is a part of the whole, whole life of our church. So make sure people understand that from, from the outset. Why do we do this? Really important to answer the why question. Otherwise, this is all meaningless and doesn't, doesn't really do a whole lot. We do this because Jesus gave the church one mission. Let's look at Matthew 28 together. Jesus gave the church only one mission, and that mission is to make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, at the very end of this gospel, we have in Matthew's gospels, Jesus' last words to his disciples. And these are his last words in the gospel of Matthew to his disciples. Uh, Chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the, the, the anchor commandment in here is the commandment to make disciples. And what does that look like? It's through going. It's through baptizing, bringing new people into the faith and, and learning the core foundations of the faith and, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. So we just have one mission and I, an exercise I'd encourage you to think about doing in your church, especially if you're in a, a high level of leadership, is, is think through your church. Write, write down maybe on a piece or a couple pieces of paper everything that you do in the church, everything that the church does, and, and, and look at 
do all these things serve the mission of making disciples? And I would challenge you to get rid of anything that does not serve that mission of making disciples. Now, there's lots of auxiliary things that you do in the church to help help enhance that mission. I'm not saying getting rid of all those things, but anything that is getting in the way of the one clear mission that our local churches have of making disciples, I encourage you to take a, a hard look at that and consider maybe getting getting rid of that. Churches have an incredible tendency to just add a bunch of stuff and to think, hey, this is great. People seem excited about this or people are coming together, but disciples aren't getting made. People are just kind of hanging out in a room and, and sipping some coffee, but there's no forward progress and movement and multiplication and following Jesus. So it's a great exercise to, to consider doing. Next question is what should you do when gathering with your guys, gals? Uh, we just wanted to um, kind of make this simple. Again, some of you have natural, wonderful discipleship instincts and experience. You know what to do. You know how to get your get your hands on a group of guys, a group of gals, and how to really make wonderful things happen in terms of discipleship. I have found we, we have a lot of non-Christians coming to our church. We have a lot of brand new baby Christians in our church, and, and we're so excited about what God's doing there. We really dream about what could God do over the next decade or two decades or three decades when all these really young disciples have been following Jesus for 30 years. We have found in a church like ours with so many brand new believers, um, we really need to kind of give people good handles for understanding how to make disciples. So we've, we've said really three things, connect, train, pray. So for most of you, connect is basic. Connect is obvious. Like, of course, especially for, for most of you ladies, of course, we just need to first come together and connect. But, but we wanted to really spell that out. So connect, create a culture of grace where people are real and honest about their real life, their pain, their problems, their passions, their sin, their dreams. Most people aren't honest in Christian community. Most people are not honest in discipleship relationships. Most people feel such a pressure to live up to certain expectations or to impress you that they're not going to really be honest. And so we ask the disciples in our church to work very hard to create a relational environment, a culture of grace, a culture of vulnerability, and to really lead the way there as leaders, whereas the leader, the lead disciple person, is, is creating this environment of vulnerability where everyone else starts to open up about who they really are, about what they're really struggling with, about the deep pain in their life, about the sin in their life, that's when the breakthroughs really occur. So if you don't create, if you just start right into, hey, we're going to work through this systematic theology, well, great, you're really hitting someone's mind in a lot of ways, but you're not hitting their story. You're not hitting their heart. You're not going to have significant transformation happen. Uh, and, and men especially, we have to work hard at that. Men aren't great about getting in a room and just opening up about, about their life. So men, you have to lead the way in creating that environment for other men. So that's the first thing you do is connect. Second thing you do, deeply connected to, it is just train. Uh, I, won't, I won't read all of that paragraph, but, but train your guys in specific areas where they need training. We, we have nine training component, components around this document that we're going to look at. These were all forged out of our context. As I was looking at the Bible, as I studied what Jesus did with his disciples, I mean, Jesus didn't gather his disciples and say, hey, let's meet once a week for an hour, have a cup of coffee, uh, and read through a book together. Right. J Jesus was going on crazy adventures with these guys. Jesus was taking these guys out of their comfort zones. Jesus was living life uh, w with these guys. As I studied what Jesus did, as I studied our city and our context, as I studied our church, I thought, OK, if I had to distill it uh, again, you have to reduce to get everything on one piece of paper. You can't say it all. But if I had to distill it, these are kind of the nine main areas in which I want us to train our people, which we're, we're going to look at that. Um, you see the la part under that paragraph under train. Just read, read and discuss the Bible. Together, we train our people to ask two questions for the rest of their life. These are the two questions. You see those right there. What is God saying to me? 
and what am I going to do about it? Those two questions are a refrain in our church, and they are a refrain in our discipleship groups. Uh, the reason there, it's what Leonce was saying in his talk, is we think that the Holy Spirit is the main discipler of our people. We want to train our people to be, to be reading their Bible, to be listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and to be asking questions like that. Like, God, what are you saying to me? What are you putting a finger on in my life? What are you calling me to? And then, and then I want to act on that, God. Uh, what, what am I going to do about it? So we're training our people to be listening to God, to be listening to the Word of God, to be listening to the movement of the Spirit, and to want to be obedient to following the Holy Spirit. Not just, hey, God spoke to me, but I, I'm going to go do something about what I've read in the Word of God or what the Spirit is, is saying to me. Um, we, we Then I say, then give homework or missions. Uh, I'm always giving homework uh, to guys I disciple. That's not saying go home and write me an essay, though it could be that. It's that as I'm discipling a group of guys, I'm recognizing, whoa, this guy, these guys, they need some growth in this area. So I'm going to have him go and uh, work on this. I'm going to, that guy needs to go talk to his dad. That guy has massive dad issues. He's never confronted them. Uh, Homework for this guy is that he has to finally have that conversation with his dad. He needs to go talk to his dad. He needs to bring those, those issues up, whatever it might look like. I'm always giving homework or missions. Again, that's what Jesus did. Jesus was always sending his disciples out on crazy missions where they were in over their head. And they grew and they matured uh, through that. He wasn't just saying, come back again after you've read your chapter and let's have another cup of coffee together. He's, he's really doing things that are putting stress and, and growth on, on the lives of those men. Um, back up to the original question of who are your guys, gals. We always encourage discipling more than one person at the same time in a group because a lot of growth happens that way. Um, I'm not saying that one-on-one is bad. One-on-one is powerful. But I think in Jesus' model, he got 12 guys, invested in them as a group. Within those 12, he had his tighter kind of group of three guys that he invested in a little bit more heavily. Uh, we, we have found that it, it makes just a lot of sense to, to disciple more than one person. Have, have at least two. Have, have a group of guys that you're discipling. I vary how I do it. I've had 12 guys I've discipled all at once. Uh, I've had just, just two or three. I, I haven't gone down to as low as two. I've had, I think the lowest I've had is, is three or four guys, uh, not, not including me that, that, that I'm discipling, that, that I'm leading. So I encourage you to really have a, a group of people that you're, that you're discipling. We encourage one of four books for our people to use in discipling. You'll see it's mentioned there under that paragraph. Uh, the big story, I, I wrote that one, so a little bias there. It's, it's for sale out there. I, I didn't add that myself, though. That came after a lot of folks in our church said, hey, this is really good for orienting people to the story of the Bible and to their own story. Um, the Gospel, which is a great book by Ray Ortland, if you're familiar with, with Ray, great book on the gospel and creating a gospel culture in your life and in relationships. Uh, the Walk, that's a very overlooked book. That's my favorite book to use in, in discipleship by a guy named Stephen Smallman. It walks everyone through the, the basics of the Christian faith, the basics that are forgotten in most of our churches. Uh, it, it's incredible. And then The Prodigal God by, by Tim Keller. We also direct people to recommended reading on our website. Third thing to do in... in in this question of what should I do when gathering my guys, gals, is, is to pray. We teach a method of three R's, uh, rejoice, repent, request. Um, we were teaching just what Jesus taught us, the Lord's Prayer. We were, we were teaching that. We found, though, that in teaching the kind of the five petitions of the Lord's Prayer, we found for a number of our special new believers, it was hard to kind of wrap your head around five and to get it all. And we thought this was an easier way to teach the same thing, rejoice, repent, uh, request. So we're trying early on in someone's walk with Jesus to teach them that prayer is really first and foremost about rejoicing. It's connecting with God. It's praising God. It's rejoicing. Uh, second, repent. Let's, let's repent of our sin uh, and, and let's request. Let's make requests of God. This doesn't mean every, this isn't rigid. This doesn't mean every time you're praying with someone, you have to go through those, those three. We're just trying to put this DNA into our people and give them uh, a bigger vision of, of what prayer is. 
And then, then we have this question, how do you know when you've succeeded? Uh, I want everyone to have some sort of metric for success here in discipleship. When you've sent out your disciples to make disciples of their own. So we think success looks like making disciples who go on to make more disciples. Now, I want to make sure that I say you're not going to be always successful. You're, you're going to be faithful. You're going to disciple a group of guys, a group of gals. You're going to pour your heart out. You're going to do your absolute best. Um, and some of them are going to betray you. Some of them are going to leave. Some of them are not going to make other disciples. I'm not. So your job is to be faithful, as faithful as you can. The success, success is in the Lord's hands. But we're saying our end goal, our end game is to make disciples who go on to make other disciples. And, and that's so fun to see. So like from that group of 12 men uh, that I've discipled, it's been amazing to watch those guys go on and make other disciples. We have a guy in our church named Samir, came to faith in Christ at our church, uh, had, had not heard the gospel. He was invited by a friend to our church, heard the gospel, says he broke out in a cold sweat three different times in, during the course of that message as he heard the gospel, uh, became a Christian that day as he prayed with his friend who brought him. I started discipling Samir. That guy is now a deacon in our church, leading a group of people and has led, gone through, I think, one cycle of guys that he's discipled who he has graduated. And now those guys are starting to disciple guys. I want to call Chad up here. Uh, Chad Francis is an intern our church. He was a part of this original group of 12 guys. Uh, Chad's now a deacon in our church, leading a group of guys, his, his disciple guys. Maybe talk for a minute. I didn't really prep him for this. Uh, talk for a minute about uh, what what you've kind of gained from this experience. Yeah, this is one of those homework assignments he talks about pushing over the head. So, um, I think something that's been really important for me as I discipled is Justin didn't create this process and send it out as an email blast to us. Um, he, he created the process and grabbed us together and said, let's walk through this over a course of time. Um, a lot of this stuff I experienced is caught, not taught. And so um, it was formative for me to go through a time being taught this, being loved, being cared for before I was expected to reproduce it. Um, and so walking through that over a course of time, um, it, it almost becomes sometimes I'm just, okay, what did Justin do with me? Other times it becomes very natural doing with other men. So having that modeled before um, you expect people to be able to do it, that was, I think, a big game changer yeah. for me. Awesome. Thanks, Chad. Thank you, man. So there's great stories like Samir, Chad, Rob, other guys from that group of 12 men and other guys that I've discipled who've gone on to make other disciples reproduce. It's amazing that that line kind of continues. But then there's painful stories from that group of 12 men. There are two guys that like really, really hurt me. Two guys who I, I feel betrayed me, uh, hurt me, left our church. There, there's pain. I hurt other guys in the group. There's, there's pain there. So don't think that this is, hey, follow this and it's all going to be awesome. No, I mean, there, there's pain there. We're dealing with real people. We're dealing with our own hearts. We're dealing with, with sinners' hearts. Uh, Jesus discipled 12 men. Uh, one of them betrayed him. So uh, I, I'd say just expect that. Expect that along the way as you disciple people, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get stabbed in the back. You're going to have pain. You're going to have opened your heart up to a group of men or women. Uh, and they're going to they're tear your heart to pieces. Uh, and God is sovereign over it all. And he will use it all uh, for his glory and to grow you and to mature you and to shape you. Um, and so it, when it comes, it hurts, but embrace it. So Now let me move quickly through these nine. Now, now look at, uh, you see the number one up in the top left-hand corner where it says the word story. Let me move quickly through. These are, these are what we are saying. We're saying under, under this rubric of when you meet with your guys, your gals, connect, train, pray, under that second piece, train. We have found that these nine are the main nine things we want our people to have in their heads as, as they're training. Again, your context, you might add to this. You might subtract to this. You might say, hey, this isn't on here. We've just found that this really covers the core foundation. So the first is story. Learn your guys, gals story, learn their real story, not the pretend story, not the polished story. This goes back to the relational environment. I said that it's important to create the vast majority of people 
who you will disciple have never, ever had safe relationship where, where they can just open up about who they really are, about what they've really been through, about what their pain is, what their sin is, what their mess is, what their longings are. Most people have never, ever had that. So, so if you can provide an environment like that, if you can provide an environment where a person can work through their story, face their story, tell their story at maybe a new level, a new depth than they ever have, that is a, that is a massive win. That, that alone is just huge. If you just are able to do that in discipleship, I mean, you, you're providing something that most people have, have never, ever had. So really, really think about that. These questions I have at the bottom of each of these components are just self-evaluation questions for the discipler. Just do you know their story? That's a great just self-assessment question. Do you really know that person's story or do you just kind of know the, the surface stuff? You don't know their story until you've, you've heard about the pain. You don't know their story until you've heard about the shame. Uh, you, you don't know the story until you've gotten to those, those pressure points in a person's life. Next is idol and first love. If you went home today and you read through your Bible cover to cover from Genesis to Revelation, you would see that the single biggest problem in people's lives is idolatry, that instead of worshiping God, we worship something else. And, and so you need to have a language for idolatry in discipleship. We talk at our church about four core idols that people tend to have one of these main four idols. Uh, one is comfort. You know that someone has a comfort idol. If their greatest nightmare is stress and demands, they don't want stress and demands in their life. They don't want anything to interfere with their comfort. Uh, next is control. Well, this is not in order, but control idol. You know someone has a control idol. If their greatest nightmare is uncertainty. People hate uncertainty. They like to have a control. I have a control idol. That's what I can tend to tend to worship instead of Jesus. Next would be a power idol. People tend to have a power idol if their greatest nightmare is uh, being humiliated. They want to stay in power. Uh, next is an approval idol. People have an approval idol if their greatest nightmare is rejection. They don't want to be rejected. They want everyone to, to, to approve of them. So we use the language of those four idols or certainly more, but we've just found those four give people good good handles to work with. Like we on our staff, we all know what everyone's idol is with all of our, our leaders or deacons. We, we know that. And we intentionally try to mess with each other's idols. Uh, when, when I, when I, when I'm discipling guys, I'm always trying to mess with their idols. Uh, and, and a lot of times they just don't know it. I'm, I'm just inten intentionally, if it's a comfort idol person, I'm intentionally trying to put like demands and stress on them and shake up their comfort. I'm, tr I'm trying to do that. If it's a control guy like me, I'm intentionally trying to change plans and change everything around and, and mess with them and just throw uncertainty into their life. And to see how do they handle that? Are they, are they running back? To, are, are they running back to the idol? Or are they starting to learn how to run to Jesus and how Jesus will never change? How Jesus is control? How Jesus can be trusted? So um, you you need to mess with people's idols. What I think happens in so many churches is is there's a very superficial Christianity because someone's idol has never been threatened. What happens is people put just a little bit of Jesus on top of the functional worship of their life. They worship control. They meet Jesus and like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian now. They put Jesus on top. But they're still their whole life is really all about control with a little veneer of Jesus, a little veneer of Christianity. And so you have to really shake up uh, someone's idolatry. Look, read the Gospels afresh. Jesus was always doing this with his disciples. He was always doing this. He was always shaking them up at the core of, of who they were and showing them that he was greater, that the Father was greater, and, and that that was what was to be at the center of their life. So if, if you don't have conflict in discipleship relationships, you're not really discipling someone. If it's just nice and you're always having your coffee and everyone's smiling and no one ever gets mad at you, you really haven't discipled someone, right? 
You, you're, you've only discipled someone if people have gotten mad at you, if there's been conflict, if you've had some nights where you can't sleep because you're like, I know I just had this conversation with someone or I'm about to, to have this conversation with someone. Um, but what that does is that creates really committed, really amazing disciples who, who are really committed to Jesus. And it creates in a church uh, a really robust, strong culture. Because uh, most people think that conflict means the end of a relationship. Most people have been through significant conflict in certain relationships that meant that relationship's over. But what we're able to show people is that on the other side of that conflict, working through it, it we, we have the gospel of Jesus. We have grace as the center of our relationship. These relationships are better. So uh, do, do that. Uh, I, a cool story is in our church, a gal named Tarana. She is the mom of a guy, Samir, I was telling you about earlier. Samir came to faith in our church shortly after he came to faith and was starting to get discipled by me and others. Um, we started praying for Samir's parents, uh, Deepak and Tarana, that they would come to faith in Christ. Deepak and Tarana came to a couple of our neighborhood group gatherings, came on Sundays once or once or twice. Uh, after a lot of prayer, I want to say the timeline's probably a year and a half. It took a while. Uh, Samir's mom started coming around to our church a bit more, started coming almost every Sunday, uh, started coming to a neighborhood group. She got saved and got, got, got saved her. Uh, she, like her son, was Hindu, uh, had not been in a church, had not heard the gospel. And when I was at her house, this is maybe six months ago now, I was at her house for a gathering. She took me around her house to three different spots where her, her literal figurative idols were uh, that she used to worship. She used to have her Hindu gods, and she'd replaced all of them with a cross. She's not worshiping the cross, but a cross is a reminder to her of Jesus. She showed me how she got rid of, of all of her idols. So you might deal with people who have real physical idols that, that they're getting rid of as well. Um, next is identity. Uh, I need to have my identity drilled into me constantly that I am a son of God, that my identity with God is based on grace, not on performance. So I just think you can never drill this into people enough. Uh, we here in the Bay area, especially are so just wired and just always default to identity is based on how successful I am. Identity is based on how well I perform. It starts at a young age. You see it in the elementary school. I see it with my kids and just how that gets drilled into to people's heads. So drill into their identity, that they're a son, that they're, that they're a daughter of God. Remind them constantly of grace. The, the, the question here is, are they learning to live and work from their identity instead of for their identity? Um, spend a lot of time with that and the people you disciple. Next is encouragement. Uh, we really care about creating a culture of encouragement in our church. Encouragement, I think, is very, very um, underestimated. Uh, we live in a culture where, like, have you ever had a day in your life where you said, like, stop encouraging me. I've had too much encouragement. Please don't encourage me anymore. <laughs> like, you've never had that day. And you, and you never will. You're so used to uh, your own critical heart on yourself and being aware of your faults and your deficiencies and where you measure up. You're so used to being under pressure. Um, you're so used to other people's criticisms where encouragement is just so amazing. And the Bible repeatedly tells us to encourage one another. Um, encouragement is giving someone courage. Encouragement is showing people how God's at work in their life. Encouragement is giving people really specific encouragement about how God is at work in their life. So, so encourage the heck out of the people you disciple. It's, and, and some of you maybe are more gifted in encouragement. Encouragement is something I love to give. Uh, it's just, it is so powerful to speak encouragement. A lot of you are, are who you are today and you're doing what you're doing today in your life because people encouraged you because people said, man, you really have the strength. I really see the Lord using you in this way. You're really great at, at this. Um, in my life, encouragement has been way more powerful than just criticism or critique. Um, so encouragement is, is massive. So I think a question you should always have on your mind is, how can I encourage my guys? 
How could I, what, what's a note I could write? How could I text them? How could I encourage them? How could I just physically put my arm around them and say, I oh, mean, I love this, love this about you. I'm always thinking about that as a pastor on a Sunday. It's like, how many people can I encourage today before I leave? Now I want to preach, but I also want to get a bunch of one-on-one short little talks in. And I want to encourage as many people as I can before I leave uh, this campus. Fifth, honesty and self-awareness. Uh, I'm going to move, move quickly through this. I'll leave 15 minutes for questions. So I'm going to all move over the next six minutes. We will finish this. Um, honesty and self-awareness. Most people have never had a safe relationship. So, so now we're moving kind of from the encouragement to some of the harder things you might have to say. Most people have never had safe relationships, people who really love them that tell them the hard things. Um, we all need to be more self-aware. Uh, we all need to understand, think about self-awareness like this, where um, for like me right now, it's almost like I should have another me like right here that's able to perceive how I'm coming off in a room and, and how the impact I'm having on people and what I'm sounding like, what I'm, what I'm doing. We all need to grow in that self-awareness where we have, we have blind spots. We don't understand, um, kind of a lot of, a lot of how our strengths and weaknesses impact people. Uh, and we need help in that. So, so bring more self-awareness to people. We ha- we have a personality test that you can see the website that we direct people to. We, we take all the people we disciple through that. It gives us just language for knowing how you're wired, for knowing what your strengths are. And, um, the, the question here, is there a difficult truth you might need to lovingly share with someone? Uh, I have found that when you really, when people know that you care about them and you love them, when you share those difficult things, they, they receive it. They're, they're, and again, if you've selected teachable people, uh, th- they'll receive it. And, and that needs to happen. Um, next is time. Gosh, time is like one of our biggest currencies here in our culture. We're all so busy. That's the word we use to describe ourselves and to describe one another. We're so busy. Give lots of time uh, to, to the guys, to the gals that you disciple. You'll see there, uh, I say, get with them in a variety of contexts. Uh, don't just meet at the coffee shop or don't just meet at your house. Uh, get around. Jesus got around with his disciples. Je- Jesus was in a whole variety of contexts. Uh, people kind of act differently, behave differently in different contexts. So you try to get creative with that. Try to take a trip together. Go to different homes. Go to different places. Visit someone in their workplace. Just see people in a variety of contexts. Uh, I-, I make a real big practice to visit men in their workplace in Silicon Valley. Here's one of the biggest things I've learned from that. Most men have never had another man visit them at work. Like, they never have. I mean, they're coworkers, but, but no one in their life has ever seen where they work. Most of these guys, their wife has never seen where they work. Everyone's just so busy. So when I spend 45 minutes with a guy at work at Apple, he'll just say, thank you. He's like, I've never had someone come want to see me at work. Like, this, this means so much to me. So just get out of um, people having to come to you. Go to where they are. Vary the context. Give them time. Time is a massive way. You know this with your kids. All of you have kids. Like time communicates love to your kids. Time communicates love to those that you disciple. Seventh is, is church and city. Just drill into them the importance of the church. Again, we're discipling all these people in our church who've never even heard what the church was, didn't get it. Show them the radical importance of the church. And show them how, how badly they need the church and how badly the church needs them. Uh, we're big on right away telling brand new believers, our church needs you. Uh, we don't want to set something like, oh, yeah, once you've been discipled, once you're mature, more mature in two years, we need you. No, we need you now. And, and figure out lanes that they can run in to serve the church. I'll, I'll send guys, hey, kids ministry. Uh, kids ministry needs you. Go use your gifts. Use your strengths in kids ministry. I want these kids to be around you and to, to learn from you right away. Put people to work. Now, eighth is, is enemy. Just remind people we have a great enemy, the devil, Satan. Uh, this, this whole discipleship thing, this is supernatural. We are fighting a massive spiritual battle. We have a massive enemy who hates that we're talking about this right now, who hates the gospel, who hates that you want to do discipleship better in your context. Uh, remind people of that. Teach them how to fight. Teach them against the schemes of the devil. Uh, and finally, ninth is multiply. 
uh, graduate your guys, gals. Don't disciple people forever unless they're your, your kids. You're, you're going to influence and have certain relationships with people forever. But on the front end, I always tell my guys, there will be an end time to this. There will be a graduation. Jesus did this with his disciples. Um, so what we have found is that you see it on there between three to 12 months tends to, to work best. That's what we, what we have found so far. That sometimes you might take just a group of guys who need a little bit of extra work and you might fast track it, do kind of a three month thing. That's pretty fast. Uh, but, but there might be cases where I've never done it that fast, but I've seen some others that have and it's worked. Uh, others, it's going to be a year. Uh, others, maybe six months. I have found six months to be a real sweet spot that, that, that kind of works. Notice I don't have three years. Jesus went, went three years. Um, you, you could do that. But I just feel like, man, I am in this city where the vast majority of people don't know Christ. I want to take a group of guys. I don't want to disciple them for longer than a year. I want to I release them way sooner than that to go out and start making disciples of their own. So, so my metric for what I – and I always try to make the graduation special in some way where I really encourage the guys and maybe buy a gift for the guys. We make kind of a special outing or a special night that night. I graduate them. I tell them, hey, I am always here for you. I love you. I will always be here. But I'm not – it's not going to be like what we've had these last six months. We're not meeting together uh, every week. I'm not going to be the pursuer and initiator that you've seen these last six months because I think God is now kind of calling me in this new season to disciple this group of guys. But I'll just say, hey, along the way, I'm here. Reach out to me. Um, I'm really, really good at pursuing people when I'm focused on them, when they're kind of like key friends in my life or leaders I'm working with or people I'm discipling. I'm terrible at it once I've done. I've just, I've learned that about myself. I'm not good at that because I just get focused on what I'm doing. So I'll say, you be the one to initiate with me. Balls in your court, reach out to me and I'll, I'll be there. We'll get together. We'll connect any way I can help you, any way I can coach you, any way I can be with you. That's not always easy. I, I know there've been some hurt feelings along the way for me with guys I've discipled because they've had this time with me for a long period of time and then it suddenly changes. I don't know any other way around it other than just to talk about it and to acknowledge it. Um, but there, there have been hurt feelings at, at times and that's, that's tricky to work with. So Here's the evaluation question on whether you're ready to multiply under number nine. Have you transferred the truth and love God wanted you to transfer through this process? If so, graduate your guys, gals to start praying and start praying about who your next group of guys, gals would be. Um, that, that's kind of how you know. Now, it's, you're never going to be exhaustive. It's never like, have I taught them everything in the world? No, you, 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 you can't. But your sense of calling from God is, have I you know, stewarded well the six months or whatever that you've given me to to be with these guys, with these gals. So that's the core kind of um, focus of, of our process. We have additional training tools mentioned at the bottom. I can talk more about those. Uh, what I want you to see, so first big truth I really wanted you to get is that discipleship isn't automatic. Uh, you have to be intentional about it. You have to think it through. Second big truth I want you to get is that Jesus gave the church one mission, make disciples. Think through your context. Are you living that mission? Is your church living that mission? Uh, what, what refinement do you maybe need to go through? What do you maybe need to get rid of? Uh, third related is just that discipleship is not a program. It, it needs to be the whole culture of your church, the whole lifestyle of your church. It's not, a, it's not a program. It's the one great mission of your church. Everything you do in your church ought to be about discipleship. Uh, and the fourth and final big truth I, I want you to get is that the key leaders in the church need to model this. So all, all your you know, leaders ought to model this, but, but the elders, pastors of your church need to be disciple makers. I think a man is not a pastor if he's not making disciples. That's, that's what we need to be doing. Uh, your, your small group leaders need to be making disciples. And the, the key leaders that you're elevating 
pastors, elders, deacons, men, women leading groups, they need to all be modeling disciple making. You will not have this culture in your church unless the key leaders are, are, are doing it. Now, you might be in a context where you say none of our key leaders are doing it, but I want to start doing it. Yeah, the Lord could use you. You could certainly, the Lord could use you to, to humbly come and bring a bit of a revolution and, and start injecting that culture there. Certainly he could. But for the long term to get this really going and sustained in your church, key leaders need to be doing that. And um, I think it would be great if, like what we're seeking to do in our church, if everyone in your church down the road, you could go to them and you could say, hey, who are your guys? Who are your gals? And they could give the names of a couple of people there they're investing in. So uh, let's do some some questions. I'll honor your time and we'll end at uh, 2.30. Yeah. Pastor, uh, number seven, the yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, I would say I, I'd say no. <laughs> I'd say you need to. Um, it doesn't have to be in a particular building, but I'd say you need to teach a radical commitment to a, a local church. So you, you need you need to teach them the importance of the church. Jesus has one great plan for reaching the world, and that's to his local church. Jesus died for the church, and teach them their need to be committed to a local church family, to submit to a local church family, uh, and all the ways in the, which they'll grow through that. So I'm gonna talk that through. Yeah, right here. Yeah. And if I were to become my dad with my my people, you're right. I'm clearly I have broken every year in my business. Right. So how would I start to get women involved? Yeah. Explain okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, repeat the question for the microphone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, repeating this question is this guy's leading two groups, have both men and women in it. How would you start getting this going in the in those groups? Yeah. What I would say is to do the level of discipleship I'm talking about here, you won't be able to do it with women. You can do, you know, big stuff, but you can't get in a woman's not gonna be able to sit with you that you're and, and get into those big core things from her story in the same way. It wouldn't be safe in the same way. She starts talking about sexual abuse from her past and it's just you. I think she probably needs a woman to walk through a lot of that with her. So I would say with those two groups you're leading, you could take one of those groups and just start working in more closely with some of those guys you could take that small group time each week and divide half of it in guys gals and the gals are meeting separately the guys are meeting separately you can start taking those guys through through that you could start having a different time during the week where you start working with some of the guys this is where some of the the, the tricky stuff is figuring out how the system works like when, when during the week do you kind of kind of meet with those guys and you already have other groups going what i will have done is when i'm leading a neighborhood group in my home with you know 20 people in it men and women I, I will have uh, the three or four guys I'm discipling stay afterwards for an hour and a half and have a meeting with them. So I kind of piggyback off the meeting. That's how I've typically done it. Yeah, you can you could do your best to teach this. You could try to find your strongest, most humble, uh, best female leader and empower her to, to start doing it. So I think the answer is leadership to that question. Find that lady and, and release her. Empower her right here. Yeah. Oh, great question. Okay, so when when I choose a group of guys to disciple, how important is it that those guys have a friendship or or click? Great question. Okay, so it's really not important in a way. In some ways, in some ways, now, I mean, because in some ways, in some ways, the more different they are, the more friction, the better, right? And and I'll, I want to also say that's better for me. Like the whole everything I've presented so far makes it sound like the disciplers kind of 
you know, in some way superior than the people that are discipling. I also try to make there be a lot of, not really a lot of distinctions between discipler and disciplee in some ways. I learn so much through it. I mean, it's clear. I'm, I'm leading. That's very clear. But I'm learning so much through the process, especially when I get very different groups of guys together. So, And so much of the discipling happens because guy A over here is the super type A guy, and guy B over here is very different. And they, there's just kind of, kind of some friction and some diversity and some mutual learning that happens there where this guy ends up influencing this guy way more than I could have influenced that guy. And I think you see that in Jesus' disciples. He pulled a pretty, you know, there were fishermen in there, tax collectors in there, just some different brothers in there, some odd dynamics going on with siblings, just some some crazy stuff. So not not all that important. So right here. Uh, very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I really agree with the, the point about intentional experiences. Yeah. The question is, and the, the challenge I see is what happens to those less desirable right. people? Right, right. Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So the question is, uh, really believe in this idea of you need to be prayerful about who you select. What happens to your words where the less desirable? So yeah, make sure you never say it's it's a less desirable <laughs> thing. Make sure you never say that. For me, it's more it's. Um, what I think if you create this whole culture in your church, so I'm doing this in a church where there's a whole culture of this now. So now there isn't so much pain. There was when I first did this. So when I first called those 12 guys, but it was pretty easy because the way I did that first group of 12 guys is it was based on, I think it was six guys who were already leading groups. And I asked each of those guys to pick one guy that was in their group, one key guy. So, so I could, I could blame, I could blame it on the system. Like I'm start, I could say I'm starting with the leaders of our groups. This is how we're starting this, and they're going to inject this in the rest of our church. So there were some hurt feelings then, but people understood that kind of made sense. So anyway, you can kind of say this is strategic. This is for the sake of the whole church, the whole organization. This is going to bear fruit over time. I think that may, that makes sense to people. Now it's pervaded the culture of our church where there isn't a lot of that. No one's like, oh, I should be getting discipled by Justin, not so and so. People kind of see how the system works. Good, good question. Uh, right here. Yeah. Um, about the similarity and friendship between the groups. Yeah. Um, how important is it um, guarding the pure culture? Yeah. How important is it? Uh, the question is, how important is a level of person's spiritual maturity in starting that discipleship group? I love to have very different levels of spiritual maturity. That's that's my preference. I'm not saying that should be everyone, but I love, like, so in that original group of 12 men that I mentioned, there was, for example, a guy in that group, uh, Rob who was in his, in his 50s, very mature uh, follower of Christ. All three of his kids are, are raised, uh, very mature guy, older than me, right? A guy that, that really could have been discipling me, right? So you, you have that guy in the group, and then you have a Chad, you know? So I'm just joking. Chad, I'm sorry, Chad. Chad's back there. No, um, uh, no and, then, and then you have a guy like Samir who was in that group, who'd been a Christian, well, I don't know, a couple of months at the time. So so I that was really healthy. That was really, really good. So I... Is there a season to disciple the especially mature group of people? Sure, there, 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 there might be, but I like having there be real variety. I find that that's really healthy. Yeah, right here. Great, great question. Do I run into the issue of people going, hey, because I'm getting discipled by kind of the pastor, uh, I'm expecting to get more than this, this standard discipleship process reproducing? No, because I think I'm real clear on the front end. So because I'm real clear on this is what this is. I'm discipling you, and I only will if you commit to, um, you know, by the grace of God, going on to make more disciples. So there's not like extra perks or extra something. So we'll go right here.
Right. You know, where that character arc is, it's not in the sequel. Yeah. How do you know when to, you know, uh, when it's time to, to step back from just, um, you know, from pursuing them? How do you know when to step back? Great question. Okay, what do you do when you're discipling someone and you notice this increasing pattern of resistance with someone they're not, not responding? Um, so t- different, different ways to handle that. I think I just would follow a process of first speaking to that person one-on-one. Like I'm really noticing that, you know, pulling them aside. I'm really noticing you're not being teachable. You're resisting all of this. Um, if they, if they continue to, to not hear it, I mean, I kind of follow Matthew 18, then involve some other people, get the whole group in on this. Like, Hey, we all see it. You know, you're, you're terrible at this. You're resisting this. You're, you're not being teachable. Uh, you have three women right now who love you and who care about you and who are telling you this. If you don't learn this right now, you're gonna have to learn this the hard way later in life. If we all care about you, we urge you to kind of hear this. And if then beyond that, if it persists, the person is just uh, not teachable, you probably say, well, I'm not going to keep discipling you because because you, 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 I can't I can't do anything here. You're not, you're not teachable. You're not seeing this. Um, you know, that's not not yeah, making that sound like that's easy. But um, I'd walk through a process like that yeah. right here. Yep. Right. Right. That's a great question. Yeah. How do you identify initially who wants to be discipled? Um, you know, I've, I've had it easy because it's, I think, in a way easier because plant, I've planted a church and I got to kind of look at, whoa, we're six months in. This isn't happening. So I got to just start with my core leaders. Basically, what I called a meeting of our core leaders and I said, uh, guys, we need to fix this. So I'm going to start with you. Uh, are, are you in? And every guy was in. So I started there. So now we just have a culture in our church where, where people from within these different groups, neighborhood groups, um, people will go to those leaders go to others and say, I want discipleship. I want to, we have, we have a lot of young people in our church. They're like, I'm hungry to learn. So I, I don't know your context or where you're at. Like if you're at a church, you know, the leadership could choose to say, Hey, we want to try to turn the tide on our discipleship culture. Anyone here wants to be discipled, hey, there is a way to sign up. There is a way to do it. Best way, though, is just through relationships, through existing structures of relationships. Uh, might be for you getting a burden for this. You just start praying, like, Lord, put some names on my hearts of guys you really want me to, to invest in. And, and you, you have two or three names that just kind of keep coming to your mind. You start there. So over here. Yeah. Yep. Great. Okay, great. Uh, question is, how do you create that safe relational environment where people are going to be really honest about, about who they really are? I think a number of things you can do. Uh, you, be honest yourself. Be honest about your own story. Uh, people will be vulnerable if the leader's vulnerable. So be vulnerable. Admit your sin. Admit your weakness. Uh, tell the harder things from, from your story. Uh, I think another thing is just tell people that this is a safe place. Set the parameters. Set the rules. Say, hey, guys, what we cover here is confidential. Uh, and make that promise. Say, guys, I promise that anything, everything we discuss here, I will not tell it to, to anyone else. Um, I, in my role, and I encourage other pastors to, to adopt this, I, in my role, will sometimes have to say, if, if there is anything that, that you know jeopardizes a church, like as an elder, I might need to share it with something with elders. It might be something that has to do, I, I sometimes give that disclaimer. But just say that you won't, it won't be shared and say, guys, I'm going to ask all of you to commit to that confidentiality. We won't share this outside of this room unless we have permission from a guy. So I think those two factors create in, incredible safety. And just reinforcing that regularly as you, as you gather, uh, reinforcing the vulnerability, um, doing that. So question, uh, yeah, right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's, there's a lot of overlap. We don't have, um, so basically I would say the difference is we say that our church, we do three things. We do Sundays, we do neighborhood groups, and then we equip people to live as Christians all week long, be missionaries all week long. Uh, and then discipleship is just something that happens within that. Discipleship is kind of this natural organic thing that happens as these leaders start discipling people. So we encourage people as much as possible to disciple folks within their neighborhood groups. That doesn't always work that way because uh, this group might have like all um, single women and there's a married woman in there who needs wants to get discipled by another married woman that comes from outside the group. So, so far it's just kind of worked naturally um, that these separate meetings happen outside of kind of groups are tacked on the end or front end of a group meeting. So a couple more questions right here. Right. Yeah. Right. Great. Really, I think that's a great question. Uh, how do you handle the fact that people might get into a discipleship group and go, hey, I value this more highly than the, the neighborhood group, than the small group. I get more out of this. It's deeper. We go deeper. Is I think you just set a, you, you get, you set a culture of saying this, and that's why it's on that sheet of none of this should take the place of Sundays or, or neighborhood groups. You, tell, you constantly reinforce to people the importance of, um, hey, you need this full, the full family of God. So you need Sundays where you're part of the full family of God. You need a group where you're part of uh, guys, gals, singles, marrieds, folks in different life stages. You need that. And, and hopefully, and if groups are exciting in your church, there won't be, there'll be less of that. If, if people feel like, man, my group's really great. I love my neighborhood group. I love our leaders. It's, it's family. I love being a part of that. You kind of show that they meet different needs, that certainly some disciple, discipleship formation happens in a neighborhood group, um, but it's not, it's not happening the same level as discipleship. You kind of show there's two different purposes, and you try to make sure your discipleship group never competes with it. So a couple thoughts on that. Uh, another question or two, and then we'll, we'll close it up. Yeah, right here. Yeah. So how would you introduce this kind of discipleship to a non-Christian? So everything that's on there, I have taken non-Christians through. They just don't know I'm doing it. So that's what I do. So I don't say I, I, I've got three non-Christian guys who for the last two and a half years I've been investing in heavily. They haven't known that. They, they know I'm their friend. They know that I love them. They know that I care about them. But what I've been doing in my friendship with them is I've been enjoying them, but I've been walking through all these key things. Now, it's different because they're not, they're not believers yet, but I'm messing with their idols all the time and, and I'm exposing it and I'm tell, and I'm talking to them very explicitly about, Hey, that foundation that your life is on right now of, of control and, and of thinking you have enough money in the bank and you have this big house and you think you're good that like that could go away in seconds. And, and I'll talk to them about Jesus and that foundation. I'll walk people through these things. I'll, I'll give lots of encouragement. I'll, I'll say hard truths, self-awareness truths. So with a non-Christian, I don't, you don't say, Hey, you three non-Christians, I'm going to disciple you. They're like, what the heck, what the heck are you talking about? But I think you're, you you just go out and you start kind of following a lot of the key components of that. So yeah, right here. Yeah. Like um, and we'll say those siblings are older than the older siblings right. in need of discipleship. Right. It's needed in their life. But because of maybe com complicated dynamics, would you yeah. advise, though they're not your children, do you advise still going through discipleship, like go through the long haul with them, or essentially suggesting that they get discipleship in groups like you with other leaders? Right. Okay. If I understood the question right, you're saying, okay, for a family that's part of the church and kind of saying if older siblings need the discipleship. Yeah. I think it's harder if you're a younger si sibling to disciple older siblings, unless they're really teachable. Uh, I, th I think it'd be really, unless there's a, unless they're really teachable and lots of humility. I think that's, I think that's really hard. So I think trying to point them towards, uh, other people who are older than them or who they really respect, who you think they'd follow, trying to point them to those structures. It's probably best. 
Um, let's do one more question, and then I'll close it up. Uh, we'll go right here. Sorry, say that again. What? what? To, oh, yeah, what, at what age could it be possible to start discipling? I think young. We are big believers in releasing not non-Christians to, to uh, new Christians to disciple quickly. Uh, as someone comes to faith in Christ, we want to try to disciple them, but we then err on the side of like, let's release them soon. So like the guy, Samir, who I mentioned earlier, who came to faith in Christ and who I discipled, uh, we sent him out to start a neighbor. He hadn't even been in Christian a year when he sent him, when he sent him out of our group to be a deacon in our church and to start leading the group. Uh, and we just felt like we want to take that risk. We felt like we want that to be in our DNA. We want to err on the side of he has the Holy Spirit in him. We've gone through this process. He's got close coaching and relationships around him, guys like me around him who are with him and in his life. Let's release this guy and watch God use him. And uh, God's used, used him in a really significant way. So um, so as far as age and the faith, we're big on releasing people uh, quickly. Uh, and then age, I mean, we, we, we are just starting youth ministry stuff at our church, and we want our teenagers making disciples. So now I don't know if a teen, I don't know if a 13 year old is going to, I don't even know what an idol was when I was 13. So I don't know that a teen, you know, teenagers are going to go through all, all, all of this, but there could be, you know, some kind of smaller pared down or more basic kind of thing for, for folks to, to work through. So uh, let me, let me pray for us. Let me close this up. Jesus, it is 2.33 on Saturday and we are thankful to be your people and we're thankful to be here today learning and growing. Uh, I pray that that everyone who's here in the seminar, I pray that everyone got uh, at least one insight, one takeaway that will make their leadership better and it will make their context better. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you're, you'd be moving increasingly here in the Bay Area, that you'd be equipping us to make disciples. There's such a massive need for disciple making to happen here. Uh, we pray that you would come and do your thing. Thank you for the time we've had here together in the name of Jesus. Amen.